Shemai Achroiso. Hello and welcome to the New York Welsh podcast. That is the podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York while hopefully inspiring the creation of some new ones. I am Richard. And I am Gideon. Now, before we get started, little reminder, we've got a ticket giveaway going on at the moment. We do indeed. We have the upcoming US premiere of Paul Milor's Requiem and Patrick Hoare's The Great War Symphony, which is happening on Veterans Day, aka Remembrance Sunday, aka November the 11th at Carnegie Hall. Reg, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. <laughs> I just told Gideon this joke. He didn't know it. Can you believe it? I think it's terrible. It's a classic. Uh, regardless, both pieces are going to be conducted by each composer and performed by the Distinguished Concerts Singers and Orchestra. And we'd like to say thank you to Distinguished Concerts International New York, who are the ones providing the tickets for this competition. How do we enter the tickets? You go on the New York Welsh website, and there's a link there. I've got no idea if that's true. I just said that. I think, I think you, you just emailed, email. don't you? Ask me again. And how does one enter this giveaway? Uh, you just have to send an email to the info at newyorkwelsh.com email address and express your interest. Brilliant. There we go. Good luck. Uh, so we have on this episode, um, actor Tom Chandler, who is currently playing Begbie in Trainspotting Live. Based on the 93 novel by Irvin Welsh that I'm sure everyone is familiar with. Yes, it has been running since the beginning of the summer. Uh, it's been incredibly successful so far. Uh, they've actually just had uh, an extension through end of October. Tom himself is an actor from Penarth. Uh, he's, believe it or not, he's only 21 years old. Uh, he came over here to study at, where was it he studied? The American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He came over and studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yeah. And which is like the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, only American. Uh, what's remarkable is that Tom has just finished his studies here in New York and has already landed a pretty cracking role in a cracking play. Yeah, I think we've both seen it. It was a great conversation. I uh, hope you all enjoy it. Yeah. Tom Chandler. So, Tom, I have a question for you. The last time I saw you, uh, or you as Begbie, uh, you looked me right in the eye and gave me a wink. Uh, and what I'm interested in is how how different is it acting when you're directly engaging with the audience like that? I would say it's very... Um, yeah, it's very different. It's exciting. Um, it's obviously not a traditional sort of form of theatre. I don't want people to kind of used to at the moment especially in i would say america it's sort of the classic like end on realism is has always like sort of been the the gold standard um but it's very exciting to be doing something where there is no fourth wall and mm. it's no one is safe we say that when you come in um yeah it's brilliant it makes it different every time because obviously you know spotting people you know in the audience and things like that is do you, do you riff off the audience? Do you find that if, if an audience is more receptive, you maybe go a little further or do you find yourself holding back sometimes? You really, yeah, it's, it's very push and pull. It depends. It depends on the time of the show, the day, who like the size of the crowd, everything like that. If we have, for example, if it's a Saturday night and everyone's getting rowdy, then 
you know, so, like sometimes if, if people have had a couple of drinks, then it's fun to mess with them. Yeah. But then if they've had too much, then people want to really get involved and they kind of take that like immersive, uh, yeah, thing a bit too far. And then people, you know, um, yeah, we want to, we, we encourage it, but we don't, we don't want to, it's easy to get sort of lost in it. Mm. Um, so you kind of have to just throw a little bit of bait out, you know, so people are, you know, feel like they're having a, can get involved with the actors, but not like sort of throw the show off course. Um, you have people heckling or? Yeah, I've had heckling before. Yeah. Plenty of, plenty of that. People heckle, people, I mean, just because of the nature of the show, people have insane reactions. Sometimes they'll just be like screaming constantly. We've had people, we had someone in the other night who's just, it was great. They're having a great time, but just laughing and screaming so loud over like everything right so at some point it starts to over yeah overtake the, yeah. the performance um, uh, that's interesting I didn't I didn't realize that perhaps in America it's less like immersive or more experiential theater is less of a thing than potentially in other parts of the world I think it's I, I, I don't think I've been here long enough to know um, sort of what the like immersive theater scene is is kind of doing i mean i've i've heard i haven't done it but i've heard of sleep no more as a massive yeah um is a massive one at the moment um and i think there's a there's a few small things like it but as far as i know i haven't seen a lot of i certainly haven't seen any shows like sort of what we're doing in new york at the moment we we should probably explain what we're talking about your tell us about the play you're in at the moment what is it so i'm currently doing Train Spotting Live, which is a stage adaptation of Irvin Welsh's novel. Um, initially, it, it was a novel. A lot of people think, you know, sort of, I've seen the film, love the film. It was obviously a um, yeah, the Danny Boyle classic, film. Yeah, the Danny Boyle Evan, film. Hugh McGregor. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that it was a play before. So they, there was a novel, and then um, Harry Gibson wrote a play adaptation, um, which I think was about two and a half hours long at first. Um, Danny Boyle saw that, made the film film blew up and then that's sort of what everyone has come to uh, know and love and then since then there's been a couple of sort of iterations of the play um, and then Greg Esplin our Tommy he about four years ago four or five years ago he sort of adapted it again took it to the fringe in Edinburgh um, had great success with it and then uh, brought on board Adam Spreadbury Ma uh, artistic director of the King's Head in London and he sort of uh, helped him pull it together, changed it up a bit, and then they did it at the King's Head, and then they've taken it back to the Fringe every year since, and they've had multiple sellout Fringe awards. Uh, so it's been running in the UK for a couple of years now. They've taken it on tour to Australia, and then this is the this is the New York debut. So it's all Greg is the only original cast member from the UK uh, company, and then everyone else has been brought in new. Cool. And how did yeah. so? How did you? How did you get involved? Like when did you? Uh, so the casting notice was posted out online, sort of everywhere. I think they basically sent out to like anyone, anyone can do a Scottish accent in New York. Can audition <laughs> for this. Um, so yeah, spotted it online. It was sort of on Playbill backstage, everything like that. Um, sent in a self tape for it, and then we had, um, I think, two rounds of callbacks. Had, had you done much? Have you done any other um, performances with the Scottish accent, or was that an accent you knew um, you could do? Yeah, I haven't I haven't performed with a Scottish accent before, but I mean, we used to. Someone asked me this the other night. Sort of, did you have to learn it for 
because they said you you had to be able to do you know a Scottish accent off the bat because you only had two weeks rehearsal process so there wasn't time to sort of yeah do coaching you know, yeah to coach in an accent um, but me and my mates just used to do Scottish accents all the time in lunch yeah. in school like since we were thirteen so and it, it's hard and obviously you know I don't know if you found this Gideon but I you obviously we were tuned to it so you could tell the you know yourself and you know the, the two main guys you could tell I I think that the ones who potentially were very American and putting on an right. accent. And not they weren't... Oh, definitely. Not that they weren't good at it, but you could just... I think we're, you know, coming from the UK, you're, you know those subtleties, right? I'm not right. sure whether other American audiences would... I'm sure they wouldn't, but... Yeah, well, it's it's been an interesting journey with the accent, actually, because we... Mine in particular, because Begbie's sort of... Um, Begbie's text in the novel is very... Uh, thick with obviously colloquialisms all, all the slang and everything like that and he's actually one of the characters with a lot uh a harsher accent so yeah this is Begbie. Maybe, lot... maybe you can t- can you tell people who Begbie is uh yeah so Begbie uh if, if you've seen the film uh Robert Carlyle played him in the film he's sort of this psychopathic hard man he's um uh the one lad who everyone knows in school who used to just beat people up just for the hell of it everyone's totally volatile yeah everyone uh, everyone's got an addiction in the play um begbie has a a number of them but one of the main ones is is violence i remember there's like a line in the film where they say uh uh what was it oh begbie didn't do drugs he just did people (laughs) um so yeah he's sort of got a sensory addiction to that that violence and adrenaline um that's what he gets off on so yeah it's a lot of fun to play yeah. Um, a little far removed from myself. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, had, you, had, had, did you, had you seen the film or, or any of the... I mean, well, yeah, had you seen the film and then had you seen any of the play adaptations before? Yeah, I'm, obviously everyone... A lot of people grew up with the film in the UK. Um, I think it's like a staple of British cinema. Everyone needs to have seen it and most people have. So yeah, I, gr- I grew up with the film. Um, and but, but not the play. Hadn't seen the play before. Um, which I think a lot of us hadn't actually because it was obviously in the UK hadn't been in America yet so yeah and, and did was, you was, how much did you take from um, maybe the Robert Carlyle performance and how and, and maybe this is a question generally for actors like when there is a film made with that character how much do you tend to draw from it and how much do you kind of right. add your own flavour to that tend to avoid it as much as possible hmm. I watched the film I like recapped I mean I actually it took me a while to see T2 I just I missed the sort of like to, release Terminator 2 Judgment uh, Day yeah yeah Terminator Great 2 film. um you know the Begbie 9000 um <laughs> <laughs> no so uh Trainspotting 2 the uh the uh sequel that was based on porno um came out what was it two years ago was it something like that yeah um yeah so it took me a while to see that and then the auditions happened quite soon after that, actually. So I was sort of like in a train spine mindset. So I watched the first film again, um, sort of like within the first couple of days of getting cast and then didn't touch it again. Um, just because I think it's... And it was the same with um, with Tu Wong Fu as well, because I played John Jacob in that and in the film, that's Robin Williams. And it's obviously like, I'm not going to try and do yeah. <laughs> Robin Williams. It's a bit weird having, you know, such a such like iconic characters that have already been that have already been done so well and you know how it's a, you have to kind of approach them with a with your own take on it and it's like I'm not I'm not Robert Carlyle do my own like you have to try and find your own uh, sort of way into it 
Well, I think you made your mark if the reviews are anything to go by. <laughs> right. Was it the New York, <laughs> the New Yorker, or the New York Times? Uh, New York Times review. Yeah. So we, during the first sort of uh, the first two three weeks, we had quite a few reviewers in, and we used to mark mark their seats so we know where the reviews were sat but I didn't know this was a thing at the time <laughs> so, um, oh. so basically there was there's a big white X on your seat saying don't touch this person they're a reviewer because a lot of reviews will come in and say I'll, you know I'll review the show but if it's immersive I don't want to be touched because you know disturb them if they got pens in the right and things like that um, surely so that's sort a giveaway though or, or not all of them have pens well I was just seeing red Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but um, yeah, I don't think I, I, th- I don't, I don't know, I don't think I noticed. I mean, maybe I had a small notepad or something. But basically, there's several moments in the play where Begbie just sort of um, encroaches on people's personal space, in particular the ladies in the audience. Um, so, in one of my gentlemanly endeavors, there's sort of a row of, there was a row of women up in the back row, and. Obviously, I just happened to go for the New York Times reviewer to uh, shove my crotch in their face. And I think it was, what do they say, utter a gross sexual command, which on the night, I think, was have a gobble on that, love. <laughs> Something like that. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think non-PC behavior yeah, is the, yeah. the other description I saw. Um, but to be um, fair, I mean, I, again, you know, it wasn't, it, not, to be clear, it's not just Begbie, right? Like, you know, in, this, in the scenes that you're talking about, you know, you, it's, it's set in a club and you have you know, both Begbie and the male and female characters who are interacting with the audience yeah. in that same yeah. way. It just happens to be that Baby's probably the because of the character, is the yeah. most... Um, intrusive. intrusive. Um, I, I disagree. Yeah, I don't, what happened to me was definitely oh, yeah, most you, intrusive. You have the, um, well, ever, everyone's seen the film, so everyone knows that Renton poos the bed. Right. And then he's trying to hide the sheets and clean himself up. And I hope it's chocolate mousse. Because actually, what is it? Can you tell us? Trade secret. It's trade secret. I didn't taste it, so I can't swear. But I think it might have been chocolate mousse got pressed onto my t-shirt by this guy's bare bum cheeks. <laughs> I mean, and that's in the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. We definitely tried to um, set, you know, sort of set the uh, the mood as fast as possible. I think one of our early instructions was just to uh, can I swear or, or yeah. in in quote? Go on then. So. <laughs> as soon as possible in the rave we just tried to call as many people as possible just to um, get, get them in the mood for the show yeah. sort of you have to break that because the thing doing this kind of theatre where there's no fourth wall you have to break that immediately because otherwise people are not sure whether they, whether they can you know um, engage or not some people like really aren't used to having eye contact from actors so you have to you know we break that as soon as possible which is why we start with a massive rave Yeah. Um, and in the first sort of three minutes of the show we're grabbing people up on stage they're dancing with them you know rolling around on the floor with some audience members throwing back to their seats things like that you just got to try and uh yeah set set that scene break that sort of um convention of the fourth wall straight away yeah and get people uh get people open and willing to play with us and how, how what was that like for you to take on that because you know as you acknowledge it baby's very different to yourself and you know having you know spent some time with you this morning you can see you're very mild-mannered in in <laughs> In, in the nicest possible way so what's it like to take on that role when you're having to be that because I'm, I'm sure it's if it's uncomfortable for the audience I'm sure initially it must be uncomfortable for right. the actors too right so how does that it's incredibly relaxing um, really <laughs> <laughs> I think since um, honestly since doing the show I've become even more relaxed in everyday life because it's honestly like a purge every night um, 
so I, yeah. It's like therapy. Yeah, it's a bit like therapy. But yeah, it's great fun. It was definitely, it took a while to get into it. It's not like we could come in on day one and then it was like, right, get your knife out and just scream at people. Mm. We really had to sort of um, build up over those those first two weeks and then even through sort of the first week of previews, just stepping it up a notch each, each night yeah. um, to really get it to that level of... Now, I don't know what's normal, but two weeks seems short. Isn't that it short? Is short? Yeah. What, what would be normal? Short. Um, three or four weeks, three or at four least, weeks. I would say is... And then, and then for longer plays, a longer period of rehearsal? Or? Yeah, I mean, it, it varies with everything, but two is um, definitely a quick turnaround. Um, so we were, we were all off book on, on like first day. That was our sort of, sort of requirement. So it was, it was accents nailed, um, you know, off book on the first days. And we just started. Off book means you don't have the words in front of you. Yeah, no script. Wow. Yeah. wow. So, so obviously you had this review from the New York Times. A few of the others, like, I mean... So the show's been extended, which is great. Um, so it's been extended through... October 20th. October 20th, right. And it was initially just August? End, end of August, August, yeah. So I assume it's going really well. Did, did these reviews help, do you think? Or were they just... <laughs> um, yeah, know. definitely. Just to... Uh, any, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Um, and the controversy that we've had... We've had some absolutely stellar reviews. And we've had some which are, you know, rather concerning for, yeah. you know... Um, and how is, that, how, is that, how, is that, how is that for you? Like, you mentioned that, you know, you obviously... Your, you know, to have your name called out. I mean, I mean, I don't know whether you read reviews, or whether different actors take different things. Yeah, so it was a weird thing because I haven't really done something before that has had sort of this much exposure in terms of reviews mm. and, and sort of, you know, official, air quotes, sort of reviewers coming in. Um, so I was unsure at first whether or not to read them. Uh, heard a lot of advice from from different people. You know, some people say that they'll they'll never read reviews um or that they, you know some people do um i felt like i had to sort of work it out for myself because i so i i did uh so i do read reviews at the moment um which has been all right i don't know it's interesting i i think i'm still you know sort of learning about it as mm. i like i said i felt like i you know i wanted to learn for myself what it is like to sort of um read reviews and then or avoid them the funny thing with the new york times was when reading them, it's a lot about perspective because I read Tom Chandler, mm. not Begbie. Yeah, um, which is which is really interesting. So I, you know, at first I read it, and it was like when Tom Chandler, um, you know, I can't remember the quote now, but um, yeah, what was the last bit when it was? Oh, maybe that's just me. I, oh, I didn't enjoy it, and maybe that's just me and every woman I know, or something. Like yeah. That. Um, but obviously I was reading Tom Chandler with that, but then, yeah. you know, I look back at it and it's not, it's Begbie, yeah. Tom Chandler in brackets. So, which is quite good because, you know, reading that, that you just, they're disgusted by Begbie, not by yeah. Tom. Uh, so, yeah. It's yeah. a different thing when I think you're playing as that, and it's funny, I um, sort of very short bit of acting when I was growing up and I did a few plays actually, and I, I always loved it and I loved taking on characters, but then I did one thing which was uh, co- kind of comparing a talent show as Richard Swain right. and I, I, I couldn't do it because I, I, I felt I could do whatever when you're acting people can you know laugh at you they can whatever but they you can put it onto the character yeah when it was suddenly myself I was like there's no defense there yeah um, but yeah of course in this instance you know it, it's about the character um, and your job and part of the job of the actor is to capture the you know the role and the time period authentically and that's what your your job is yeah 
Yeah. What's, um, how, what's the uh, average age of the cast members? Ooh. Um, I don't need an official it? median. Just like, who's the oldest? Um, oh, I can tell you who the oldest is, but we're, we're sort of uh, 21 to 26, I think is sort of the, the range. Yeah, so even the 26-year-olds aren't really going to have any first-hand experience of the 90s club scene that the that the play's about, do they? Yeah, actually, I have to say, yeah, you guys, I think you did a, you know, as, you know, Gideon and I can probably just about, probably growing up, probably at the tail end of that, kind of the grimy right. 90s club, something you did a phenomenal job kind of capturing that. It certainly uh, <laughs> touched a few notes there um, from my perspective. But yeah, what was, how, how did you guys who, you know, were probably too young to, you know, remember it, how did you get into the... I mean, I, I've got three older brothers from, and the youngest one is... um uh 28 it's my brother's age 28 to 32 mm-hmm. have to check that um <laughs> um so that music like that's the, this is my sort of music like everything i you know love i have a very broad sort of range of things that i like but i always go back to sort of trance the Zypetha club classics things yeah. like that those you know um so yeah i grew up with like faithless and tiesto and everything like that um, that's all my brothers listen to. So they sort of instilled that in me from a very young age. Kevin and Perry was like the family classic. That's our Christmas film. Um, uh, so yeah, that's what, you know, I grew up with. So I have a massive love for it, all that kind of music. Um, I mean, the rave scene in Cardiff isn't massive, but <laughs> there's certainly a, you know, a good few nights out there. So it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, I didn't didn't directly experience you no know, sort of that that era, but certainly have um, inherited it in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a great job. We were texting, and we I think read an article for the Penarth Times, and it's mentioned that you were twenty one, and I we, I couldn't believe it. No, um, I assumed you were older. Yeah, it's the beard. I think it's the beard. Yeah, it's a cracking beard. Everyone, check out our Instagram. If you want to see Tom's cracking beard, it's beautiful beard. I've, <laughs> a lot of people don't like it. Most of my mates hate oh, really? it. Really? And Actually, is it for the role? Did you grow it for the yeah, role? Yeah. yeah. To, for, for the age, or because the character has? Uh, no, I just think just in terms of like character, it was yeah. just to grow out. Also, a lot of what I had done recently was just clean shaven, and I like quite a lot younger, clean shaven. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it kind of like it. It creates a. a smaller median I guess if I if I have a beard might look a little bit older who knows um but yeah I did a put up a picture recently of it I did it you know just a couple of like quick Instagram videos of me just messing with my beard and I had people message me who've not spoken to me in years just saying I hate your beard <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing they decided to yeah work. yeah that was it that rekindled the uh contact please get rid of the beard so you so you're from from Panath originally yeah. is that right um and you grew up there uh uh, yeah, for the most part. So I grew up in uh, Sully, um, just outside Panath, basically. Yeah, so I grew up in Sully, a small village just outside of Panath. Um, my house was sort of in between the two. Um, and then when I was uh, six or seven, I think close to my seventh birthday, um, one of my, my oldest brother, Kirk, he went off to um, Afghan. I was it Afghan or Iraq at that time? 
but he went off. He was a Royal Marines commando, and then uh, my other brother was Brett was in the going off to uni. So the Louis and I, my parents decided to move to Spain. So we actually lived in, in Valencia for about four and a half years. Oh. Um, Do you speak Spanish? Sí, pero solamente un poquito. Oi, oi. Oi, oi. I've been trying to get back into it, especially since being in America. Yeah. Because I, I spoke it a lot better when I was there, when I was younger, obviously surrounded by it constantly. And I moved back to Wales um, so I could go to the same secondary. I actually, I was, I really want, I want to go back and I want to go to the same secondary school that all my brothers and my, <laughs> my parents went to. Um, you didn't chance to do in Spain? You didn't want to go to school in Spain? Um, no, so I went, I, I went to a sort of a, a, a multilingual school in Spain. Um, and I, you know, we loved it out there, but, um, I just really wanted to, I don't know, I just had this thing about sort of the, like the family thing of all going, having trained, mm. like studied at the same school and everything like that. And, um, for various reasons, we ended up moving back. Um, so yeah, I ended up going back to the same, same secondary school in, in Pinar, Stanwell. Um, yeah. So I didn't speak Spanish for about another, you know, like four years because it was mostly only, um, it was mostly my, my parents that I could really speak it with. Um, I didn't really have that many Spanish-speaking friends in school. But since coming back, since coming to America, there's obviously a lot more Spanish speakers. And yeah. I've got a lot of um, you know, South American friends now, so I can talk to them, speak Spanish with them, and they're trying to help me pick it back up. It's nice. It's nice yeah. to be multilingual. Yeah. But now it's obviously my... It's not really sure what my Spanish is right now, because I obviously learned Castellano. Yeah. And then... Going back home, a lot of my dad's friends were Ecuadorian, and then yeah. coming over to America, so now I've got Argentinian and Peruvian friends, so it's a bit of a mix. Um, <laughs> Have you? Do you speak any other language? Do you speak Welsh? Uh, I wish. I really, I really do wish I could speak Welsh. Um, Love doing it in school. Mm. Um, I found it very difficult to pick up in school, so I studied. Uh, obviously, when I came back, I you know learned a good deal of Spanish, and then. You know, I loved languages. Um, I still do, but particularly when I was younger, I you know wanted to pick up more. So I did French and German at school as well. Um, I'm Welsh, but I would say Spanish is probably my best at the moment. Um, Does that help with parts? I guess. Have you done any? Um, I'm not sure you could pass a Spanish. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's bad. Maybe if um, you uh, a Spanish language radio play. Yeah, possibly animation. Or, you know, it helps if there's, you know, a line or two of something, you know, I've, I've probably, I can't think now, but I've probably done something where there's like one line of German in it or something like that for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, that helps. And I think it just helps with your understanding of language like mm. as a whole. Um, I think everyone should learn a, a, a second language when they're, when they're younger. I'm not sure why it's not as much of a big thing in the UK. Like most European countries, you, you learn a second language as standard in primary yeah. school. I mean, I, I wish that I'd paid attention to languages in school particularly right. Welsh obviously but I just wasn't interested as a teenager I just wasn't interested at right. all it's only now that I've actually now that I moved to America I've thought okay well I'm this is if, if I don't learn Welsh now I'm probably never going to be able to so I've put in like a concerted effort to, right. to do it yeah I've always thought yeah. they, they could do a better job of how they present it to you as a kid because it was always like hey, another lesson you have to learn this versus saying it's cool James, James do you know speaks languages James Bond speaks multi-languages mm -hmm. yeah you know just think of the world of opportunities that you get opened up to you if you can speak multiple languages i just think they could be a, they could do a better job of communicating the benefits to teenage uh teenagers teenage boys yeah absolutely. absolutely there needs to be some kind of reform i think especially with with 
teaching Welsh in schools. Well, like, just, there was a lot of people that didn't, yeah, just didn't, just weren't interested or didn't act, like actively as well didn't want to. And I, I, it really like, um, it really does break my heart when I hear people saying, "Oh, you know, it's a dying language. I don't want to learn to speak it." Things like that. You know, mm. who speaks it anymore? Only Welsh people speak Welsh to each other. But I, you know, I think if you think it is dying, that's more of a reason to learn it. Because I think you know, you got to keep the culture alive and. Um, I think it's such a fantastic thing that we've got to have this unique language that I really, you know, I wish I could speak fluently and eventually I will. Um, if there's anyone out there who wants to help me with some Welsh lessons, please do. Because I was gutted when I couldn't go to those ones at the Sunken. Yeah. Um, so who knows if they start up again, then I'll, or maybe on a different day, I'll, then I'll be able to go. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, just as an aside, we use this app called Say Something in Welsh. I can't oh, plug right. it heavily enough. It's been, well, it, now that the lessons have stopped, that's all. All I've got is the, is the app, and I find it still very effective. Yeah, and we should do a shout out to uh, Dr. Kate Phillips. Who oh, definitely. Uh, inspired Welsh teacher um, who gave of her time so willingly for about a year and a half. Yeah, she did. She's a professor at Rutgers, and uh, yeah, she's been phenomenal in helping us perfect. Well, I don't say perfect. Not none of us are perfect. <laughs> no, uh, learn the basics. Um, so you came back to Wales in your early teens. Where did the when did the acting start? Fairly soon after I uh, got back to Wales. I mean, when we were sort of in the process of moving back, I had a lot of, a lot of chats with my with my mum and dad and saying how I was interested in it. Um, I sort of discovered it sort of towards the end of primary school that I loved uh, performing, just doing impressions all the time. Obviously, just used to do impressions and voices and quote films constantly to like teachers in the playground and things like that. Um, so that, that's where the interest started. And then when I moved back, I, we looked for sort of classes and things. We found uh, a group, fantastic group called the workshop in Cardiff run by Peter Woolridge, who used to work for, uh, uh, HTV. Um, and he's sort of a, a casting director for actually casting, um, in particular for sort of young talent in, in Wales. Um, so Peter's workshop was sort of a, like a once a week, uh, group that we would go to. And it was very, uh, it was a lot of devised work, a lot of camera work, um, in particular sort of, um, we, you know, we, we would go in, we would get a scene or a topic and you have to come up with a scene about it. And then it, uh, last sort of hour of the session, you crack the camera out, um, and just talk to us about, you know, how, it, how it works, what's it like working um, in front of a camera, things like that, give us you know advice. It's an interesting focus. I think a lot of drama schools concentrate on theatre, but yeah, and that was something I didn't mm. sort of know at the at the time uh, was you know, or maybe didn't fully understand and appreciate the the, the need for a basis in theatre. Um, so I did a couple of um, you know short films and you know little like special extra parts on uh, what was it um, the story of Wales documentary sort of playing just a, a farmer crossing the mountains things like that my sister gets sick with the plague or something like that um black mountain yeah um yeah so it was it was mostly uh camera stuff and i'd not really done proper theater um because in in schools mostly it's musical theater because uh you can just get a lot more students involved it's, we we used to beg constantly our school to put on a play but it was just too difficult because you know it it's such a small number of people and it's a lot of there's a lot of time for a teacher and a director to give up mm. for such a small group of people unless you're doing a huge play and there's not enough interest for it there's not enough people that you know want to be you know sort of straight play actors um 
so it tends to be musical theatre in schools. So I used to work crew on those because I wasn't a singer, I wasn't a dancer. Um, so I used to work crew backstage all the time and then and then do my camera, get my acting fixed through the camera classes like once a week. Um, so yeah, and then towards the end of school I auditioned about um, and decided that I wanted to go to acting school. And then it was actually one of my teachers at the school, um, Oz, he said, uh, you know, have you thought about America? And I hadn't at all. <laughs> Why would I? Um, from a small town in Wales, um, he said, "Yeah, you should look at look at America, look at New York. You know, sort of that only only live once kind of um, planted that kind of seed in my head. So then found the uh, found the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, auditioned in London for that, got in, came over here. I didn't know anyone in New York. I had a friend who had um, a cousin living here at the time, uh, so I got their phone number and literally called them up, sort of." Day before I flew out, I said, "Can I stay with you for a night? I'm friends friends with your cousin, um, which is very nice of them." So stayed in this gorgeous sort of hell's kitchen, um, like thirtieth floor apartment, um, on my first night in New York. So had you been to New York wicked, before? No, never, never been to America before. Wow, what a place to start, hell's kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all downhill um, from there. Yeah, then straight into <laughs> student dorms the next day, <laughs> in a small room with a roommate. Um, but yeah, it was quite nice to well, sort of. Yeah. So yeah, that that was sort of that was the journey to America, and then what, what's the 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 visa process there? If you if you are accepted into a U.S. university, automatically that that gives you the right to enter the country, or then is that a secondary? Uh, so thing yeah, so you go on you go on to the student visa, and then when you finish, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing, uh, it's a bit easier if you do like a STEM subject because then you can get a couple of years um, OPT, optional practical training. Is the uh, is the name of the visa? So it's basically an extension of the student visa, which is like a um, like a work experience visa. Right, and that's what you're on now. Um, yeah, that's very good. Uh, yeah. So and then what would it be? An O, o an and then it would be an O one. Yeah, yeah, or a green card. Yeah, but um, yeah. Do you, do you want to? Do you think you'll want to stay? Like after? Like, um, yeah, I I would love to stay. Um, love to stay. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I can and already continue doing uh, off Broadway, Broadway, like theatre. Is that the yeah, I'm I'm loving theatre at the moment. Um, as I said, I hadn't really done theatre properly before I came to America, so it's been this sort of fantastic new discovery for me. Mm. Um, I'm having a great time with it, and I think uh, I would love to go back into uh, film and camera work eventually. Um, cool. But yeah, we'll see. One thing we always ask is any any advice that you'd give to I don't know any anyone back home really who's who's either interested in acting or thinking about applying to um theater school whether that's you know in the uk or or in the us um i always find these difficult because there's so many things um maybe the us maybe we'll say specifically to yeah specific to your experience maybe yeah um i don't know just go for it just you've got to do you know why you were accepted? Like, was it, did, they, did they give you that type of feedback to say why? Because I imagine, especially here, you're, you're competing against people all over the world who are applying yeah. to come to New York. So what? Um, oh, they probably thought we need we need a Welsh boy with long hair just to fill the quota. So they just picked <laughs> me up. Um, no, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Thought I was trainable. I guess if you've got. Um, yeah, you just need to be open and willing and willing to learn. That's that's what schools are looking for. They're just looking for someone that they can um that they can really work with. I mean, every school is different. 
Um, there's differences in the UK and America. I can't speak for UK schools. I haven't trained in one, mm. but um, you know, obviously worked with actors who have trained in UK schools and versus American schools. It's you know, there are a couple of differences. Are the application um, processes the same? And what are they? Are they tend to be written, or do you send in tape? Um, oh, it was. I can't remember. Some I, mo- mostly it's you just sort of you do an application. You do an application fee. You say what you've done, and then you. Uh, the 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 big thing is just that one audition. So the big thing is is you get one audition where you get seen by a couple of people from the school will just watch you. You do a monologue. Typically, it's two monologues. I don't know if it's changed in recent years. Um, in person or yeah. So the academy does auditions sort of all around the world. They go to loads of major cities. Um, That's fun. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, sounds a good good job. All right for the recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna work in recruitment doing yeah. theatre. So. Yeah, auditioned in London. But I think some, in special circumstances, they might take self-tapes um, for certain schools. Um, yeah, but I think the important thing is not... not when, you do, when you're auditioning for drama schools, don't try and sort of find a monologue or find content that you think is... You know, don't just do it just because it's Shakespeare and that's what people think is classic and professional just find something that you're really interested in and passionate about what did you do um uh i can't even remember now i can't remember now um but yeah just find a story that you would love to tell find a story that's interesting to you because that's what people want to see they, they want to see you not you like putting on some sort of um putting on a character so to speak Find content that that interests you and that you would like to perform in the future, um, art that you want to create, because that's what they that's what they want. They want individual artists. Sounds like good advice. Mm. So obviously your your play has just been extended. Um, when's it going to run till? Did we cover that? We did. We covered that. Sorry. October October twentieth. Yes. Twentieth. Is that a reminder? Okay. We can remind them. Okay. Fine. Um, do you want to do you want to plug that a little bit? Tell us uh, yeah, tell people where the where the play is on and how they can get tickets. Yeah. So we're at the Roy Arias Stages, seven 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 Eighth Avenue. You can go to trainspottingnyc.com and go down and buy your tickets there and you can if you want more info about the show or anything like that feel free to message me um on instagram at the chanto balls um <laughs> it's a story for another story for another time that name that's brilliant. um the instagram yeah. handle is now becoming like the email address yeah where, where, that's email a thing. Address. You only, yeah. it's only when you have to say it out loud when you go yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. mine was something like dragon 007 <laughs> 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 at hotmail.com definitely actually we yeah. still need to talk about this you still have your hotmail.com email address hotmail.co.uk oh, uh, I still, very I, much. I'm still on hotmail.co.uk I'm not changing yeah. it I'm not changing it yeah um, so people if you go on the website and get your tickets if you're lucky enough you might get Tom's crotch in your face yeah or, or some chocolate mousse on your t-shirt yeah I think that's a perfect, perfect way to wrap up um, thanks for coming on Tom this has been great Thank you very much for having me. Best luck with uh, the rest of the show. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, Please remember to subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. And if you would like to get in touch, you can always send us an email to podcast at newyorkwelsh.com.
or you can look us up on our socials. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are both at New York Welsh. And if you are interested and haven't already, don't forget to enter for tickets to The Great War at Carnegie Hall. Uh, you can enter by writing info at newyorkwelsh.com 